And I must emphasize that. I must draw that reality out to your attention so that you grasp when the Bible talks about knowing God, it's not just about able to read a catechism or recite a catechism. It's about that knowledge in your soul, as Henry Scargill put on the front of that book. This kind of knowledge to know God in heart is the very genius of the whole thrust of John's message to Christians. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and today we move to 1 John chapter 2, and we come to the how of the new birth, the how of this new partnership with God. And I explained uh, in a recent program on koinonia, that is the English translation is fellowship. The Greek term is koinonia. And it's more than just knowing or having time with or a friendship with. It is partnership. It is, as I describe, uh, it's like your boss inviting you to become a partner in the business. And you take on the responsibilities, you take on the bills, you take on the profits. And it is a full partnership. That's very different from having... Uh, something, uh, even an employee, or or knowing about this. This is full involvement and full partnership. That's what it means for a Christian to be born of God. We are now sons of God. We're in the family. And this is absolutely amazing and wonderful. It is a great thing to be a Christian. It's a great thing to be saved, to know it, to be able to bear witness and testimony to the world that you are born of God. So I trust that you'll stay with us right through the program today, and we will be emphasizing the need for the Bible, that it is by the Word of God that we are born of God. So stay tuned as we let the Bible speak today. Every teacher knows the benefit of repetition, and when you're teaching children especially, Uh, The law of repetition is very important, so I'm going to apply that in this book and give you my outline of the book all over again. Chapter 1 is Fellowship with the Father and the Son. How come? That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 is What Happens? That's our message tonight. Chapter 3, By Whom? Who does this? Chapter 4, So What? Who Cares? And then chapter 5, whosoever believeth, the faith that overcomes the world. And I hope that that will help you. So tonight, chapter 2, the heading is, what happens? And as you go down this chapter, I find 
ten things that happens. The number one is verse one, a new hatred of sin. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. There's a miracle in itself. A sinner that doesn't want to sin. That's the evidence of a change, a new birth. Old things have passed away because we're born of God and we don't want to sin. That doesn't make us sinlessly perfect in this world, but we can honestly say we don't want to sin. We hate sin. Verse 3, this is number 2 in the list of 10, a new love for God's Word. And hereby do we know in heart that we know Him in heart if we keep His commandments. Number 3, verse 8, a new walk in the light. Verse 8, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. I've heard many people giving their salvation testimony, and they say it's like the, the light comes on. Suddenly, they begin to see where before they were blind. Number 4 is verses 9 to 11, a new love for fellow Christians. Now, that's a miracle. Some people think that Christians ought to be perfect. We're far from it. But we love fellow Christians. And it says it right here, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Don't believe him. If you have no interest in other Christians, don't be telling us you're walking in the light. That's one of the proofs of our conversion. Verse 12, We have a new liberty in Jesus' name. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Isn't that a great thing? To be able to say, my sins are forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the assurance that comes from the miracle of the new birth and the word of God. Number six is a new victory over Satan. Verses 13 to 14, and a victory over the world. Verses 15 to 17. Number seven now, we get a new loyalty, and that is a love for the Father versus the world. The world is always claiming us. The world is always seeking to drag us back. But now we love the Father, and you see that in verses 18 and 19. Verse 20, a new understanding, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. And ye know all things. That doesn't make me an encyclopedia, by the way. doesn't mean that we literally know everything as Google might know it. But we know the gospel. We know God. We know his Son. We are born of his Spirit. And we have everything required for faith and practice. That's the equipment given to the Christian. For number nine, a new abiding in the Son. And you'll see that, let that therefore abide in you. And down in verse 28, and now little children abide in him, just like the branches in the vine. Number 10 is a new test of the new birth. Verse 29, if ye know that he is righteous, ye know in heart that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. There's a new test. And so we can know. 
And as the Lord says, by their fruit, ye shall know them. These are the ten things of what happens. What happens when you're born of God and born of the Spirit? And what we learn from this chapter is that conversion is radical. Every person born again is dramatically changed. Now, I know we have quiet Christians, and we have timid Christians, we have boisterous Christians, we have bold Christians, we have crazy Christians at times, and they have all manner of ways of displaying their profession of faith in Christ. But you're going to see it, you're going to know it, because it is the power of God. Now, this fights back against what North America has been plagued with in the last 50 years or perhaps more, easy believism. The notion that you can sign a card and you're a Christian. The notion that you can just casually say, well, I want to be, uh, I want to be changed. You know what they changed Billy Graham's crusade to? Power to change. Uh, that's their brand now, power to change. Now, of course, Christians are changed, but it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, conversion is very easy because it's God's work. No one can convert a sinner, only God. It's a miracle. We can pray for it, and we do. We can preach that God by His Spirit may enlighten that person, but it takes the power of God the Holy Spirit to bring the light into that soul. But the miracle of conversion in your soul is so powerful and dramatic that you will never be the same again. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, dramatically changed. All things pass away and all things become new. Now, I want to come tonight to three reasons. Three reasons, just to sum up this chapter, why conversion is radical, that we don't want this piecemeal, weakling, powerless gospel, easy believism. We believe in a salvation that is all of God and will produce Christians with real fruit. And again, I have to balance that statement with sometimes it's less fruit than we would like. Sometimes it's what Jesus said, some 60, some 30, some 60, some 100. But there will be fruit. There will be clear evidence of a new life. And some of those then 10 things we looked at will certainly happen. So number one then, conversion to Christ is radical because converts are made to know God in their hearts, experimentally, experientially, if you wish. Now, a repeated word in this book, as we've learned here in chapter 2, is this word, no gnosko, to know in heart. And I must emphasize that. I must draw that reality out to your attention so that you grasp when the Bible talks about knowing God, it's not just about able to read a catechism or recite a catechism. It's about that knowledge in your soul as Henry Scargill put on the front of that book. This kind of knowledge to know God in heart 
is the very genius of the whole thrust of John's message to Christians. And we have read through those verses, so I'm going to leave it there. I come now to just a little bit of application. I was talking to a young preacher yesterday. Uh, He's actually coming to preach in this church before long. And we got talking about preaching. And I say, I always advocate that if you were to write out your sermon, your application should be about 20% of the wording. So if you were to highlight it, color it in, whatever you do, you would have 20% of your page highlighted. That's application. And that is what we call in preaching the so what time. Oh, you got this great truth. What do I do with it? What does it mean to me today in Calgary in 2023 when it's 24 degrees outside? Real, personal, today, rubber meet the road application. Well, in practical terms, this means that all believers will hate sin and will live a new life of fleeing from sin. Now, we live in a world of the curse, a world where sin is all around us. And it doesn't matter if you were to go and start a new colony in some uh, very sparse part of the country, sin will catch up with you. You'll never be free in this world from temptation, whether it's in your own flesh or in the carnal ways of men. But this now becomes the goal of every convert. I want to live free from sin. I want to be turned away from every avenue of sin. I don't want to pursue it. I don't want to allow it into my life. And when I am in the midst of it, I want to get out. That is the new attitude. And this sin, when it happens, demands cleansing. And John begins the book on that. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. This book is not about sinlessness. You can't join the holiness movements who have taught about a second blessing where Christians get to the point where they will be beyond temptation and beyond sinning. John teaches these people there is a provision that when you are tempted and you feel the plague of sin in your own heart and life, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, and we can go to him for cleansing. Now, that, again, in real terms, means that we're going to keep the commandments. We're going to keep the commandments. It's a very sad thing that even in Reformed circles, there has been this new covenant notion that the Christian is no longer under the law. And they have done with the Ten Commandments, the moral law, what we properly do with the Levitical law. We say that the Levitical law, that form of worship, when Christ died on the cross and the veil was torn in two, that that way of worship by sacrifices and Levitical laws is over. But New Covenant, they do the same thing with the moral law. And they say, we're now in the New Testament, we're under grace, not under law. It's really not a whole lot different from what dispensationalists have been doing for a very long time since Jay and Darby. But we are under the law as a rule of life. 
We're not under its condemnation. We're not under its curse. We're not under its, con- its control in that we are on bondage. But we are under the law as the rule of life. And I'll tell you why. The Ten Commandments are really the expression of God's heart. The moral law has its source in the heart, the nature of God. God hasn't changed, and he still doesn't want us to break the first commandment of idolatry, having some other God. That has not changed. And you can go down the line, every one of those commandments and everything that it implies and infers. When we break those commandments, it's sin. And the moral law, the Ten Commandments, becomes imperative to the Christian that hates sin. I remember when I was 18 years old, about a month before I was converted, I was sitting under the preaching of the gospel week by week, and I wanted to read the Ten Commandments. And I was so ignorant of the Bible, I didn't know where to go. My sister, who's six years younger than me, she'd have been 12 years old that time, she was getting picked up every Sunday morning to go to Sunday school at the Free Presbyterian Church in Oma. She had a shorter catechism, and I knew the Ten Commandments were in there. And I went to her room one Sunday, and I searched for the the shorter catechism. I wanted to read the Ten Commandments. Now, I was yet without, I had not yet called on the Lord to save me. But you can see that the Lord was working in me. Why would any 18-year-old want to go searching to find the Ten Commandments? True conversion is the, the law of God written in our hearts. And it doesn't stop when you ask the Lord to save you. In reality, you're only beginning. And we need the Ten Commandments as Christians as never before. And one of the great tragedies in our nation is to see the Ten Commandments taken out of schools and government buildings and so on. But let it not be taken out of the church. That would be a double tragedy. You need the Ten Commandments. It is the law of our life. It tells us what's right and wrong, good and evil. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 sums up our testimony. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away and all things become new. So that's the first one. It's radical because we are born of God in our hearts. Number two, conversion to Christ is radical because converts, God converts souls through the power of his word. Now, look at chapter 2-3 in this Uh, chapter 2 here. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, we could debate over the scope of this statement about God's commandments, but the bottom line for a Christian is, if it's in the Bible, it's my guide. If it's written in the Word of God, no matter what denomination or church I belong to, no matter who the preacher is, If it's written in the Bible, it's God's word for me, and God commands me to follow that word. Now, we are born again by that word. In the book of Peter, 1 Peter 1, 23, and I'll give you a few seconds just to turn there. 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. That's why we have to go forth with the Bible. Every true convert traces their conversion to the Bible. 
Sometimes it's just Bible reading on its own, like our minister in Barry, FPC. He was converted just by reading the Bible all alone. Other people, well, they learned the Bible from their mother's knee. They learned the Bible all their lives. Some people have come under the preaching of the Bible. But the Holy Spirit's instrument, the means, the tool that the Spirit of God uses is always the Word. And missionaries, their work is to preach and teach Jesus Christ. That's their work. They're to preach the Word. If we want the Holy Ghost to work, we must use the Word. And so, this Word is written on the fleshy tables of our hearts. And so, it's not just in the Bible. We become now walking and living New Testaments, we're told. So, you're a walking Bible. You've got the same convictions as the Bible. You've got much of the light of the Bible in your soul, and it affects your walk. Now, why is this always the case? Well, I've covered that one because the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to convert our souls is the Word of God. Now, our Westminster Confession of Faith confirms this in chapter 1, section 5. And I've got quite a lengthy quote. I'm going to cut it down a wee bit. Um, Yet, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word, capital W, the Word of God, in our hearts. That's how it happens. That's why it's a miracle. It's the work of the Holy Spirit taking the truths, the evidences, the facts, the, uh, the record of this Word, convincing us of it, and burying it right into our very hearts. And so we're not converted by the force of logic alone. And when you're preaching the gospel a while, you're going to find that out. You say, well, if I could only get that person to come to church ten times and I preach to them, surely he's going to get it. Well, we know of people who have been sitting in church all their lives, and they don't get it. And it's not really the preacher's fault. Oh, of course, every preacher could do better. Every preacher could make it clearer. That's our aim and desire to be a clear, give the clarity of the message. But unless the Holy Spirit works, all the human effort will not create a new heart. But when they are given a new heart, That new convert will always stand up for the Bible. They will always be on the side of the Bible. And it was Peter again who said that converts desire the sincere milk of the Word. It's natural. That's what babies do. They want milk. As soon as they're born, that sucking instinct is right there. They're ready for the milk. And when you're born of the Spirit... You are immediately loyal, hungry, and yearning that that Word will live and work in your life. And so this is another test that we are born of God. Anyone that says to me that I don't believe the Bible or I don't believe something in the Bible, they're arguing against the Bible, they're arguing against God, don't tell me you're walking in the light. You're still in darkness because everyone, born of God, loves the Word. 
Now, we're, we're not always very perfect interpreters of the Word. That's the big struggle we have in churches. How do we interpret the Bible? How do we understand it? And that's why we have different denominations and different groups and so on. But everyone born of God loves the Word. And if you ask them, do you love the Bible? A true convert will say yes. If someone says, I've got, I've, I've got no confidence in the Bible, you are not born of God. You need a new heart. So that's... Thank you for joining with us. I hope that you have gotten the grasp of the importance of the Bible. I have this series on calling all Canadians back to the Bible. If we do not have Bible-based Christianity in Canada, we will be cursed. False religion is based on reason. True gospel is based on God's revelation. It is His Word. And as Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. And so the only Christianity that will have the blessing of God is Bible-based Christianity. And that was the blessing of the Protestant Reformation. It was a back-to-the-Bible movement. And that is what true revival must be. When there is an awakening in any community or nation, when people are brought back to the gospel, it must be through the Bible. And we are most earnestly concerned about the need for men and women in this nation to go back to the Bible. And when witnessing, we must start with the Bible. When we ask people to consider their need for a, a change to turn their life around, we must lead them to the Bible and ask them to become Bible readers. And sometimes even on the doorsteps, I will say to people, I don't expect you to believe me. You've perhaps never met me before. You don't know who I am. And you don't want to be a follower of men. Then go to the Bible and search the Scriptures. Be a Berean. See if these things are so. And when we bring people into the church and preach, we must bring them to the Bible. There needs to be time and exposition explanation of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit uses the Scriptures. And so, father in the home, get the Bible out. Mother in the home, get the Bible out with your children and teach them the Scriptures. If you want them to know God and to have the blessing of God, if you want them to be led to the cross for salvation, you must teach them the Bible, even those great texts of the gospel. And may God bless you as you get into God's Word. Thank you for listening to the message today. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.